0: Good morning. Good morning. All right, now I've got you. Awesome. Excellent. Actually, I appreciate hearing how you all love to uh, fellowship with one another, and uh, it's always fun to talk really loud in the microphone, too. Um, But uh, welcome. So glad to see you all. It's going to be a great day of worship together as uh, we have come to honor the Lord Jesus as his church. As we get started, just a few announcements I want to make you aware of. Uh, first of all, our first ma- our next uh, family ministry meeting will be on March 14th, uh, which is next Sunday. So those wi- families involved in that ministry, please uh, make note of that. Uh, also, service opportunities. I uh, just want to make you aware of the fact that our next uh, workday at the Donegal Food Bank is May 5th uh, from 1.30 to 3.30. And that, that is a ministry that we have been involved with for some time now. Uh, Gene Schworen, uh, one of our elders, is a member of, of the board there and is kind of our liaison to the Donal—excuse Don, <clears throat> me, Donegal Food Bank. So if you have questions about that ministry, please see Gene if you want to be involved. It's a great opportunity to serve with other believers here at the church. If your Wednesday afternoons are free, we'd love to see you out there. And also, we do take uh, donations for that ministry, food donations, canned goods, non-perishable items. There's a box downstairs in the fellowship hall, uh, that you can drop those off in. So if you uh, think of that while you're at the grocery store, please uh, take some time and pick up some items to help those in our community who are in need. Also, uh, speaking of service opportunities here at the church, if you're interested in being involved in our uh, security team, uh, please speak with Joshua Cribs, uh, who's overseeing that. A great opportunity to be involved on Sunday morning And also, just want to make you aware that we have other service opportunities uh, uh, and needs for Sundays as well. If you have interest in uh, technology, working on the sound team or the uh, video team, we'd love to give you more uh, information about that. Um, You can speak with James Humbert if you have questions. Uh, Also there's always a need for teachers and teachers' aides. Uh, If you are interested in teaching at New Hope, you need to be a member. Uh, but uh, again, uh, those are our needs that are always ongoing, and so if, the, you would, if you feel like the Lord is leading you to serve in some way, use your gifts here at New Hope. Uh, we have plenty of opportunities. All you have to do is ask, and uh, we will point you in the right direction. Also, uh, just want to make you aware that every Sunday morning, uh, starting at 9.15, we have a group prayer time that meets down in the fellowship hall. I noticed a rather large group down this morning praying, and uh it is a great way to start the Lord's Day in prayer with other believers and prayer for the service and other needs uh, that, are, that we are aware of. Uh, so I would encourage you, if, as you're able, to take part in that ministry. Uh, and again, that's every Sunday morning at 9.15 downstairs in the Fellowship Hall. Also, next Sunday, immediately following the service, uh, we will be holding a class for those interested in membership. Uh, There's a sign-up sheet in the back. We'll also be providing lunch for those who stay, Uh, but please uh, make note of that, and we encourage you to, uh, even if you're not sure you're ready to pull the trigger on membership, if you have questions about what membership means here at New Hope, uh, uh, please sign up and join us uh, for that. There will also be an opportunity for you to ask any questions uh, that you may have about the life of the church as well. Also, one final announcement as it relates to uh, this morning, uh, parents talking to you on this one. We are having a a special event uh, following the service, and so we ask that uh, you would uh, make it a priority to pick up your children from uh, Sunday school following the service in a timely manner. Uh, In other words, uh, as soon as you can. And uh, again, you're encouraged to stay in fellowship. Many of you like to, to stick around and talk after the service, uh, and that is wonderful. Uh, it's okay if your children are up here as well. So uh, just make note of that as we uh, wrap things up. There's going to be some setup going on downstairs, tables moving, lots of activity, and we don't want your children to uh, inadvertently get hurt during that process or, or, or have anyone trip over them either. So... Uh, please uh, remember today to, to hustle down there and, and get your kids as soon as the service is over. Those are all of the announcements that we have this morning. Let's stand together uh, for our call to worship, Is from which is from Psalm 113. This is a, a wonderful call to worship, and I want to break it down for you a little bit, not... In sermon form, but just to help you to outline this passage in your mind as I read it to you. It really breaks down under three headings. Uh, Verses one through three are the psalmist's call to praise uh, for his reader. He's calling us to praise the Lord. And then in verses four through six, he he paints a picture of the God who is exalted. And, And then In verses seven through nine, the psalmist reminds us that this great God who is high above us is a God who stoops down to care for his people. And so it really is, it really should put us in a great frame of mind as we prepare our hearts for worship this morning. So listen to the words of Psalm 113 Praise the Lord! Praise, O servants of the Lord! Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. We have been called to praise him, church. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Let us pray together. Lord, it is our privilege to come before you as your church today, to praise you, to come as those, uh, many of us who, who are poor and needy in spirit. Lord, many of us are, are coming uh, with, with a sense of great expectation. Others of us, Lord, may be weighed down with burdens or regret, but Lord, you call each of us, all of your people, to come to you for worship, And so I pray this morning, O oh Lord, no matter what it is we are facing or we are dealing with or struggling with, O oh Lord, that, that, that through it all, you would help us to see you in your greatness. Lord, that you would help us to see you in your condescension, how you bend down, stoop down to help us in our time of need. Lord, that our faith and our joy would increase and, and that you would be glorified in our lives. Help us, O oh Lord, for you are our only hope, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Morning, church. Let's worship him this morning. Night, the fires of a thousand. building up and tearing down, silencing his rivals, was called to go in the power of the Spirit to the lost to deliver captives and to preach good news in every corner shall prevail.
0: Father, we do thank you so much for this day and for the privilege that it is to be called Children of the Most High God. Lord, I pray for us today as a church. Lord, that your spirit would be at work among us. Lord, that you would refine our hearts and our minds and our desires. Lord, to bring them in line with those things which are honoring to you. Lord, it is easy for us to become distracted and uh, even discouraged by the circumstances of this life. Yet you call us as your people not to turn to idols or to things that would uh, seem to satisfy us for the moment, but to rest in you and to trust you in every situation in life. And so, Lord, we pray for your help in doing just that. Lord, I pray for us, Lord, that we would grow as a people of your word, Lord, that each one of us would recognize the importance of daily turning to your authoritative, inerrant word to guide our lives, Lord, in a world that is filled with so many different messages, most of them contrary to what is true and right and honoring to you, Lord, we need help. We need your guidance We need your truth. And so, Lord, I pray for every believer in this room, every believer who will see this service, Lord, that you would do a great work within our hearts and minds. Help us to see things as they truly are. Help us, Lord, to respond in faith to you and to your word. Help us, Lord, to to grow in our boldness and in our witness as we Speak uh, to those who are outside the faith uh, of the life-giving truth of the gospel. Lord, I I pray that you would awaken within us a a burning desire to see the gospel go around the world, Lord, that our love for missions would increase, our, our prayers for the missionaries that we support would be fervent and faithful. And Lord, that you would make us willing to even open ourselves to the possibility that you may be calling us to go as well. Lord, that the driving goal of our lives would be to glorify you in all that we do. Lord, I thank you for the many believers who serve here, who serve your people, who serve the lost, who who lead us in worship, who, who teach, who serve in leadership, who who serve as, as deacons, Lord, all who have stepped up to the call, Lord, we praise you for them, and we pray, Lord, that as they serve you today, Lord, that their joy would be full. Lord, we thank you for the families that are represented here this morning, and uh, Lord, for their desire to see their children raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And Lord, we pray for those children as they go to, to Sunday school today, Lord, Uh, that they would go with open hearts and minds. Uh, Lord, that the word that that is implanted in their hearts and minds today would uh, take root and and spring forth into fruit that leads to eternal life. Lord, we pray for their parents this morning as uh, we hear from uh, Brother Ed as he preaches this morning. Uh, Lord, that you would awaken uh, in each parent among us, Lord, a a desire to, to be even more faithful, to, to speak to their children about what you are doing around the world. And Lord, for those who are not parents and others who are present with us, Lord, that uh, they too, as they hear the, the, the truths expounded today, uh, Lord, that their faith in you would increase. Lord, that we would grow in our love for one another as the church, that we would grow in our love for you as your followers And, Lord, that we would be burdened for the lost in this world. Lord, I pray that you would set us free from the fear of man. That we would expend our lives to hear well done from you. Do this in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Stand and sing.
2: Pastor Sam asked me if I would kind of follow up from what happened on Friday evening, and thank you for that train. I think this is the only church where I've ever had a train come by to remind me. I thought maybe they would come at the end of the service so I'd know when to quit, but anyway. Um, the persecuted church is something that's very dear to my own heart. I am connected with an organization called Barnabas Aid. They're located right here in Lancaster. Their main office is in the UK. And I'm a representative of that ministry and whenever churches or I've been to Patrick Henry College and other places want to know about our organization, I'm one of the men who goes out and represents them. So this this is very dear to my heart. And this message is meant more to be an explanation and an application from Friday night's viewing with the Voice of the Martyrs. And let me just say that there's Voice of the Martyrs and Open Doors, International Christian Concern, and Barnabas said there's several wonderful organizations that are all doing the same thing. So there's no competition. We just complement one another, and God uses us in the way that he wants to. But this morning, I'd like to pick up on Friday night's emphasis. First of all, say thank you to Pastor Sam and Jean and others who helped put it together and for the voice of the martyrs. It was a little long, I realized that. I did not realize that, but I do now. I told the people who were still here at the end, uh, it starts at 6.30 according to their time, which is 7.30 our time, and it didn't occur to me that 10 o'clock their time would be 11 o'clock our time. But I thank you for enduring as much as you did, and I trust that the Lord spoke to you. And my purpose this morning is really to just kind of hone in on one thought in Hebrews chapter 13. If you have your Bible, would you turn there with me? Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, are what we might call a classic passage on our responsibility toward what we call the persecuted church. Hear now God's word. Hebrews 13, 1 to 3. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into the Holy Scriptures, and we ask that the Spirit of God would uh, make them plain and real and personal to us even while we're sitting here in a comfortable church for which we're so grateful many of our brothers and sisters are hiding and fleeing and running for their lives. They love you they're part of the body, they're our brothers and sisters and so as we talk upon this subject, Lord, draw our hearts to you and to Jesus who is the Lord and Savior of every person in every culture and language Give to us today, Lord, a fresh understanding of who they are and what they're enduring, and a fresh desire to pray for them and to be involved with them and do all that we can. We thank you for your love and grace that you've shown upon us. Bless our time together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, whenever speaking on this topic, I feel somewhat like a pastor whose name is Brian LaCroix, and I quote him who said, This is one of those real somber topics that we'd really rather not think of, or at least if we're honest about it. Talking about persecution does not evoke a lot of joy and happiness. And I doubt if anyone here today will leave looking for an opportunity to be persecuted because it sounds like a lot of fun. I don't think about it either, he said. I kinda like being insulated here in the United States where being a Christian is not only allowed, but in many cases encouraged, and where freedom of religion is guaranteed at least for the present time. He said, I would also suspect that I'm not the only one here who doesn't like to think about persecution, either that which takes place in other parts of the world or the prospect of my own, a prospect that at this point would almost seem laughable. I think a lot of people think of persecution like they think of those children on infomercials for organizations that feed hungry children around the world. We know they exist, but we'd rather not think about them. Makes us uncomfortable, even if we're hardly making it ourselves. Unfortunately, the persecuted church around the world doesn't get the kind of coverage and exposure that starving children get. And because of that, our brothers and sisters around the world face many brutal hardships hidden by a cloak of secrecy. Hardships like a woman in India watches as her sister is dragged off by Hindu nationalists. She doesn't even know if her sister is still alive. A man in North Korea prison is shaken awake after being beaten unconscious only to be beaten again. A woman in Nigeria runs for her life. She's escaped from Boko Haram who kidnapped her. She's now pregnant and when she returns home her community will reject both her and her baby. A group of children are laughing and talking as they come down to their church's sanctuary after they've eaten together. Instantly, many of them are killed by a bomb that exploded. And By the way, it was Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka, one of three coordinated attacks. Now these people don't live in the same region or even on the same continent, but they share an important characteristic. They're all Christians and they suffer because of their faith in Christ. While Christian persecution takes many forms, it is defined as any hostility experienced as a result of identification with Jesus Christ. From Sudan to Russia, from Nigeria to North Korea, from Colombia to India, Christians are targeted for their faith. They're attacked, they're discriminated against at work and school, they risk sexual violence, torture, arrest, and much more. I have in my possession the World Watch Lift by uh, Open Doors 2021. And in that brochure, it tells us that in the last year, over 340 million Christians live in places where they experienced high levels of persecution and discrimination. You mathematicians, that's one in every eight Christians. 4,761 Christians were killed for their faith. 4,488 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. And 4,277 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. And as I was praying about this message, I thought it might be good for me to take a step back and define what I mean by persecuted church. That's important because sometimes our understanding, our terminology is not on the same page. There's a fellow by the name of Tom Askall, who's connected with the Founders Ministry, and there's a Table Talk article he wrote in August of uh, 2015, and I think he explains very well what this is all about. He said, Jesus told his disciples, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. He promised that if we follow him, we will be persecuted. But the question arises, what does that mean? What does the Bible actually teach about this important issue? And then he relates two experiences that just bring it into clear focus for me. He said, two experiences that I had as a young pastor helped clarify my understanding of Christian persecution. That is, the kind of which the Bible speaks as inevitably coming among followers of Christ. The first was this. A young professional was full of love for Jesus and great zeal to spread the gospel. His name, we'll call him Steve, became burdened about an unconverted co-worker and saw it as his Christian duty to witness to that man in an effort to persuade him to become a believer. His zeal caused him to spend hours of his time at work talking to his friend about salvation and explaining the gospel to him. When his boss warned him to, quote, stop, pushing your religion while on the clock, Steve took it as an affront to the lordship of Christ and he refused to do so. After he was fired, he told me his story in terms of, quote, suffering for my faith. Steve saw himself as having been persecuted by his boss. The other experience involved meeting a pastor who spent 20 years in a communist prison because he refused to quit preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. His name was Samuel Lamb. I met Samuel Lamb while visiting the church that gathered in his home in Guangzhou, China. After two hours of worship in cramped conditions, our group of ten American pastors were invited to talk with Pastor Lamb at length. I will never forget his response to one of our questions about persecution and the advance of the gospel. Listen carefully. In America, he said, the church has experienced prosperity and it's growing weaker. In China, the church has experienced persecution and is growing stronger. Persecution is much better than prosperity. Says Mr. Askall, both of these experiences helped me frame two important questions involving what constitutes Christian persecution. Steve's comments raise the question: can Christians came to be persecuted? Any time they are treated harshly or mistreated. Pastor Lamb's comments caused me to ask, is persecution limited to severe actions like imprisonment or the infliction of physical pain? Steve saw himself as a martyr because he was fired for talking to his co-worker about Jesus. From my vantage point, however, it was not Steve's faith that provoked his dismissal. It was his failure to put in a day's work for a full day's pay, even after he was warned. Though talking about Christ is a good thing, doing at the expense of your employer is a bad thing. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Steve stole time from his employer and suffered the consequences of his thievery. He didn't lose his job for the sake of righteousness or for doing good, but rather for doing evil. If the reason a believer experiences opposition is due to anything other than their identity with and devotion to Jesus Christ, then what happens to them is not Christian persecution. Side note, 1 Peter chapter four, the Fleming translation is this. If you act like a jerk and you're treated like a jerk, it's because you're a jerk. But if you've suffered for the cause of Jesus Christ and persecution for that, then you should rejoice in the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? Peter specifically forbids Christians from thinking that all suffering is necessarily Christian persecution. He clarifies, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share the sufferings of Christ that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let no one suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. When Christians suffer for doing what God forbids, they're not experiencing Christian persecution, and they must not twist scripture in an attempt to comfort themselves with the promises that are designed for those who suffer because of their faith in Christ. Pastor Lamb spoke in generalities when he described the church in China as persecuted and the church in America as prosperous. To a certain extent this generalization is warranted. Who can deny the vast differences between living as a Christian in America versus living as a Christian in China? It is legitimate to speak of the persecuted church when thinking of those places in the world where our brothers and sisters are systematically attacked with harshness and even physical violence because of their faith. However, and this is kind of a, let's make sure we really understand this. However, we must be careful not to limit our understanding of persecution to those extreme limitations. I think the issue is severity and not location. The beheadings, mutilations, stonings, and imprisonments that are regularly carried out against Christians simply because they're Christians are examples of severe persecution. But the Bible does not limit its definition of persecution to certain levels of severity. The point that Askall is making is a valid one. That is, any mistreatment against someone solely on the basis of their identification with Christ is a form of religious persecution. So in the interest of time, and fearing that I may camp here too long, let me make it clear this morning, I'm talking about religious persecution that many of our brothers and sisters in the other areas of the world endure day in and day out. Again, the issue is severity, not location. And I would be amiss if I did not confess that there may be some in this congregation today who have legitimately experienced persecution on your job, in your neighborhood, in your family, that's real. And we don't discount that at all. And that's why we have the body of Christ to encourage us and to pray for one another. But when we go to other parts of the world, and I've had the privilege of going there as well as seeing it, there is a, there's a big difference. Let me give you a personal illustration that just rocked my world. I was training pastors in India. And we took a break after one of the sessions in which I talked about if someone's gonna follow Christ, it's gonna cost them and the difficulty that pastors have. And as we took a break, I walked down the middle island, three pastors over here were on the side. They said, come here, Pastor Ed, we wanna show you something. And on their phone, they showed me something that just startled me. Are you aware that in 2007 in Orissa, India, there were three men who were literally kicked and beaten to death as followers of Jesus Christ, and they had a video of that. And they said, here, Pastor Ed, this is what we have to deal with on a regular basis. And I watched that, and my my stomach got sick, and I thought, oh, dear Lord. Now, that's real to them. And brothers and sisters around the world, not just pastors but Christians, women, children, they experience the reality and the possibility of that all the time. In the term of religious persecution, in the broad spectrum, that's just as real as what you might face here and what I might face here. But the emphasis I'm trying to make this morning is for over there, because so often it's forgotten. I often say this, I think a lot of Christians don't think about the persecuted church because they don't know about it. They're not aware of it. I wasn't for the longest time. But once I became aware of it, I knew that I had to do something because 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says we are the body of Christ. We are members one of another. Paul says if one member suffers, we all suffer. If one rejoices, we all rejoice. So this became very personal to me, and I have the privilege, as I say, to represent an organization that deals with this every day. Now let me close this morning. Uh, Be careful when a guy says, and finally heard about the guy who brought his friend to church the guy had never been to church that he brought and he wasn't didn't know what to expect and uh, he and his friend sat down in the back row and and the the friend looked at him and said so what's going to happen he said just just pay attention so the pastor got up and took off his watch watch and put it right in front of him and the visitor's thinking oh he's going to time himself and quit on time and so he asked his friend says so what does that mean his friend said nothing, nothing. So when I say let me leave you with three final words, I will leave that and have a short explanation, I promise. Those three words are this, promise, pause, and performance. Promise, pause, and performance. Now, there are many reasons we could give as to why Christians are persecuted. There are cultural reasons, there are governmental reasons, there are other reasons. But I believe the primary reason is because of their faith in and allegiance to Jesus Christ. That's why they are persecuted. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21, Jesus promised this. He said, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will. Please notice the emphasis there. If they. Did they persecute Jesus? Yes, then they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they don't know him who sent me. Now, realistically, honestly, most of us have never experienced that kind of hatred, and certainly not for our beliefs. God's word shows us that persecution has been a part of his story throughout history. God's prophets and Jesus' disciples were persecuted, and the story of the early church in the New Testament is a story of persecution come to life for God's people. If you think about it, if you look at the scriptures, it was written largely by persecuted believers— Two and four persecuted believers and written to give instruction on how to walk in the midst of that persecution as a Christian. Persecution reminds us of the truth of the gospel. Following God has never been about us. It's always been about him. Listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Pictures. Pictures say a lot to me words that paint pictures say more Have you ever heard of nick ripkin i'm always pushing books so i'll give you a couple more he wrote two books one of them is called the insanity of god the other one's called the insanity of obedience and i heard an interview with him and somebody else and he bought this out and i never thought about this before listen to what jesus said I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He did not say, I'm sending you out as sheep among sheep. Do you get the picture there? The wolves don't send out an invitation to the sheep and have them over for dinner. Well, they do. They have them over as dinner, okay? The persecution mindset, you're you're sheep among wolves. If you've ever seen that happen, that's what our Christian life is like. It's a promise. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29, it has been granted unto you. The idea there is given as a gift. It's been given to you for the sake of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. I'm not talking about living your life, punching your martyr card into the wall so nobody likes you. Remember, if you act like a jerk and you're treated like a jerk, it's because you're a jerk. Second Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So why are Christians persecuted? Because Jesus promised that it would be so. Second word is pause. I want you to just pause here with me for a moment. I'm not sure about other translations, but I'm an old King Jameser. That's how I got started. And in the King James, particularly in the Psalms, there's a word that is often written at the end of a verse, and it's the word Selah. And by the way, I met a young girl in junior high school when I was substitute teaching last year whose name was Selah. I said, do you know what your ma- name means? She goes, no. And so said, you know what it means? It means just stop and think about what you just read. Don't, just don't run through it. Just stop for a moment and think about it. And so I want you with me for a moment to just think about this subject of persecution. First of all, I want you to think as a Christian about the personal application of it to my life. It may not be popular in some churches to talk about Jesus' words about the cost of discipleship, about denying yourself and taking up your cross daily, about presenting your body as a living sacrifice and acceptable to God, but brothers and sisters, this is what we signed up for. No fine print. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know who he was? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, to endure the cross is not tragedy. It is the suffering which is the fruit of an exclusive allegiance to Jesus Christ. I often ask myself with that verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why am I not being persecuted? Do I desire and actually live out what it means to follow Jesus Christ? Bonhoeffer wrote a book Called The Cost of Discipleship. He opens that book with this statement when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now, that's in my own personal application. Kind of search your heart and your life today. Don't go out looking for persecution. I think that I think the inference is this if you will live as God wants you to live each day in your home on your job in your community wherever you go if you just follow Jesus Christ and take his word seriously and implement it in your life you are going to endure some persecution The second thing that really hit me was the personal evangelism I think this issue this idea of the cost of following Christ must be included in our presentation of the gospel This guy's name's a little hard to pronounce. I think it's Tabiti Anyawili. And he said this one time. One of the things I appreciate about Mark Dever's view of evangelism is his insistence is that we tell people who are not yet Christians that it will be costly to follow Jesus. A little girl was listening to her pastor all morning in the sermon. When it was over, she walked down the middle aisle and came up to her pastor and she said, Pastor, can I ask you a question? He said, sure, honey. Can you tell me how I can ask Jesus to be my Savior and still live like I want to? I think sometimes she's echoing much of the, quote, modern gospel. You can just add Jesus to something else and just live like you want to. And by the way, his name is Lord Jesus Christ. One of the old divine said, As if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. He says, as Christians, we can be guilty of stressing the worth or the benefits of coming to Christ while neglecting to share honestly the cost of following the Lord. Now, when Mark in his gospel talks about the cost of following Jesus, he is, of course, only paraphrasing the Lord's own teaching. When a teacher of the law cried out, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere you go. The Lord didn't grow giddy with the thought of getting one more in his corner. He told the man to count the cost in these words, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, which basically means this, welcome to a life of homeliness and costly sacrifice. Says Tabidi, it seems to me that most evangelicals think of conversion as so magically wonderful and radical that once the sinner prays the prayer, most of all, if not all, of their problems are solved. The hard part to many in the minds of many evangelicals is just getting the person to pray that prayer, just getting them to commit. But Jesus' words and ministry remind us that committing to follow, that's the hard part. And if that's true, the people of Christ need thoughtful ways of entertaining or entering into the inevitable suffering and difficulty that's part of the tax and cost of joining Jesus. My point is this, in our evangelism, tell them the truth. I think it was Mr. Metzger who wrote a book called Tell the Truth. Please be careful to present the gospel as it is in the Word of God. When someone says what's it gonna cost me be honest it's gonna cost you everything. It's gonna cost you everything. My third word is the word performance. Promise. Why is there persecution? Because Jesus promised it. Want to pause for a moment and apply that to my personal walk with God and my evangelistic outreach in my daily life. The third word is performance and by that I mean responding or taking action based upon what we've learned. Brothers and sisters I propose to you that if we are living for Christ and experiencing what it means to be sheep among wolves and if we're sharing the gospel and telling lost sinners the truth as to what it costs to follow Christ then we can enter into the heart of what Hebrews 13.3 says when it says, remember, remember those who are in prison. Now, that word remember there in the Greek language is not just a passing thought. Oh, yeah, I remember there. It means to remember to the point of entering in, of thinking about and taking action based upon what I know. Silence is not an option. Again, Bonhoeffer said this, Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. A fellow by the name of Huss, David Huss, records this as one who lived during the Holocaust. It's called the train whistle. I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. I attended church since I was a small boy. We had heard the story of what was happening to the Jews but like most people we tried to distance ourselves from the reality of what was really taking place. Anyway, what could we do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church. And each Sunday morning we would hear the whistle from the distance and then the clacking of the wheels moving over the track. We became disturbed when one Sunday we noticed cries coming from the train as it passed by. We grimly realized that that train was carrying Jews to their death. They were like cattle in those cars. Week after week after week, that train whistle would blow. We would dread to hear the sound of those old wheels because we knew that the Jews would begin crying to us as they passed our church. It was so terribly disturbing. We could do nothing to help those poor, miserable people, yet their screams tormented us. We knew exactly at what time that whistle would blow, and we decided that the only way to keep from being so disturbed by the cries was to start singing our hymns. Isn't that pious? By the time the train came wrongly past the church we were singing at the top of our voices and as some of the screams happened to reach our ears we would just sing a little bit louder until we could hear them no more. Years have passed and no one talks about it much anymore but I can still hear that train whistle in my sleep. I can still hear them crying out for help God forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians and did nothing to intervene. Folks, don't need no other train whistle. So what can I do? Well, I'm glad you asked. Pastor Sam has asked me in the next several weeks sometime to present the ministry of Barnabas 8, and I'll have much more to say about that. And I can present more specifically what's happening and what we're doing, but Let me just share with you some things this morning that you can take away with you. Number one, you can pray for them. We got seven days each week. Got some time during the day. I hope you're spending time with the Lord. If you're like me, you know, I've got a bumper sticker that says, of all the things that I've lost, I miss my mind the most. I have a list of prayer lists. It's right there by my chair, by my desk, and my wife keeps pushing out of the way because I'm getting down the hallway. But it's there. And I think. Of what I need to pray for when I write it down so I write down the persecuted churches part of my prayer list do that do whatever you have to do but pray for them and of course every one of those four organizations of course Barnabas Aid is up here and the rest of them are down here but you can write to them and they'll send you material I'm talking ad infinitum ad nauseam they'll send you material They'll give you a report every day. If you have a phone with apps on it, you can get the apps from those organizations. And every day, they will give you a prayer request. They will tell you the country and the persons and what's going on. Pray for them. I think it was Richard Wormbrand who said this, Our prayers can go where we cannot. Secondly, something that I've seen recently, you can write letters of encouragement. I've read recently again what those letters mean to the people who are imprisoned. It's a lifeline. It's a reminder that people are thinking about them and praying for them. You know, even children can do that. Write letters of comfort. Hi, we're praying for you. Hope that God is blessing you and keeping you and watching over you, et cetera, et cetera. Write letters of encouragement. Read and learn about them. It's a matter of learning who they are learning what they're going through and feeling what they're feeling. And of course, as God leads and provides, financially support the persecuted church. Now at the bottom of your outline that you have, I believe there's a bunch of verses. I promise I'm not going to preach through those. But those verses are verses that are very instructional. Instructional. Uh, One of the first ones there in Proverbs, I think, chapter 24, basically says this. If you know about it and you don't do anything about it, God's going to hold you accountable. I'm sorry, but you're here this morning. Not in that way. But you're now accountable. I've challenged you to think about this and pray about this, and I believe God holds you and me accountable to do something with it. Bible study and sermons is more than just information. It's for transformation. So, do some. Read this. If you get time today, read those verses. They speak about the poor and the oppressed speaking up for those who can't speak up for themselves, being actively involved in what's going on. It occurred to me the other evening when we were watching the Voice of the Martyrs stream, and they were talking about praying. I heard of one organization where people get together on a regular basis, and all they do is pray for the persecuted church. That's not all they pray for, but at that meeting, that's what they do. Wouldn't that be a great thing, if, as opportunity affords, that we could get together in little groups or something or whatever, and pray for the persecuted church on a regular basis? I think it would make such a great difference. It would be a challenge to us. It would be something that expand our thinking about the body of Christ and what they endure. And I pray that the Lord will do that in your life and in mine. Two and a half years ago, I was uh, reading one of the uh, Barnabas AIDS stories at the very beginning of that magazine that they send out. And I was so moved. Basically, it was a story about some children and adults who have been told, by tomorrow morning, you're going to die. And they dismissed the children to a special room. And they let the adults go to another room and the children all got together being children of parents who love the Lord and they began to pray the next morning they came back and the soldiers had their rifles and they said are you going to deny Christ and the children said no we're not going to deny Christ and God told us last night you're, gonna, you're not going to kill us And then all of a sudden, the soldiers started looking at each other, saying, Snakes? Where where are those? Get the. We got to get. And they ran because they saw snakes. And God spared them and protected them. I read that story and I was so challenged. I sent an email to UK, to Barnabas Aid, and I said, Listen, I've been supporting you, I've been praying for you. I am so moved by what I saw. If you. Ever need somebody to go out and speak on your behalf you ring my bell five minutes later I got an email from Jeremy Frith who is now the director in Lancaster for UK office he said you must be an answer to our prayer I said what do you mean he said well we're getting ready to move our US office from McLean Virginia down to Lancaster Pennsylvania I see that you're in Lancaster Pennsylvania Would you be a representative of ours? We need people. I said, you bet I will. I wasn't looking for that amount of involvement, but I'm more than glad to do that. So the question for you and me today is, in light of what I now know, what does God want me to do? Speak, Lord, for he needs to hear that. No, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. To whatever degree God wants us to be involved, I know all of us can pray. I know that. If nothing else, we can pray on a regular basis for our brothers and sisters who are suffering persecution. Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, we never read about or hear about the suffering of the body of Christ around the world, but what we are—we're just moved and we're broken-hearted. We thank you that even though it appears that they're losing, we know that in the end we win. And so the persecuted church will become the victorious church and Christ will have his way. He will have his way. Help us, Father, in our relationship to the body of Christ wherever it may be to do all that we can to encourage, to comfort, to support, and to help. Bless us for being here this morning and as we leave, May you work in our hearts and our lives through the work of your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
1: Let's stand and sing. For the cause of Christ the King i uh-huh. So
0: show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Father, I pray that we would have ears to hear what your Spirit would have us do in light of what we now know. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name.